podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Hello, patrons. What's up, y'all? Thanks so much for supporting us. We appreciate each and every one of you. Yes, indeed. This is the... This is the maximal episode. We just finished up the... This is where I get to let my hair down. <laughs> <laughs> Looks beautiful, Ryan. Thanks, man. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> this is... Uh, we did a subtract episode, and I had this article. I usually want to find articles that we can argue about. I don't think we're going to argue about this I, one at all. we argued one time? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you piece of shit. Even if we do argue, we usually like move closer to the other person's side. <laughs> That's true. So I can punch you. That's right. All right. Come at me, bro. <laughs> All right. Uh, Derek Sivers. This is uh, from his book that, that is coming out called Hell Yeah or No. Um, and the title of the very short essay is Subtract. And this is perfect for what we're talking about today. Life can be improved by adding or by subtracting. The world pushes us to add because, the, the, because that benefits them. But the secret is to focus on subtracting. Imagine a horizontal line with zero on the left and 20 on the right. I want to be in the middle at 10, but I'm at 17. What can I add to get to 10? I tried <laughs> adding eight, but that didn't work. Maybe three would help. Should I go all, all out and add 50? No amount of adding will get me where I want to be. The adding mindset is deeply ingrained. It's easy to think I need something else. It's hard to look instead at what to remove. Mm. To me, that is the essence of, yeah, of minimalism. It, we're, we're looking at what we can add as opposed to looking at what can I remove from my obligations, yeah. from my relationships, from my commitments. Yeah. From I mean, I'm thinking about... When people were like, um, I have to have ads on my website or I have to go to my nine to five job. Well, with that attitude you do. Right. <laughs> and, and it's the thing we were talking about on the main episode. It's like, well, who told you that? Yeah. Who told you you had to have this job, this career? Who told you you had to have these things, this car, this car payment, this house? Who told you you have to live in this city who told you this is a hard one we're going to get to this in a moment with uh leah's question who told you that you need to have those family members mm. i was thinking about this last night actually ryan mm. um i have family members who i am related to by blood whether it's cousins or aunts uncles and and half brothers half brothers and sisters yeah. who i except for the uh, except, except for one never talked to. I talked to my adopted brother way more than I talked to any of my biological siblings. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, there's only one biological sibling I've talked to in the last decade, last three decades. Wow. Um, and and the, the reason being is you also get to choose your family. Bex is my family. 
Mm -hmm. right? You are my family. Ella, she's not my biological daughter, but she is my family. Yeah. And we get to choose what that means. Now, we're using these terms more loosely now. I don't mean family to, to mean we share the same DNA. But if, if that's all it means, then... Well, then that's immutable, right? You can't, you, you're never going to be able to, it doesn't mean you have to, but who told you have to be around the people with the same DNA? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like when I see people do that to a detriment, they, they are usually in a situation where they've built this rule that says, I can't live a meaningful life until my brother is doing well or until my mother accepts me or until... Uh, until someone else in my family that is giving me sh grief, until they improve themselves and until this relationship improves, I can't be happy. Mm. And sometimes like those relationships will never improve. And, and, and also putting your happiness or your well-being, uh, m making it reliant on someone else's well-being, like you can't force people to make better decisions. So I, I totally agree. Like we have to question what uh, what we think we're obligated to versus what we actually should be obligated to. I was talking to our doctor yesterday, uh, Dr. Ryan Green. I went out to get IVs because Bex has had the flu, and so like I'm just trying to avoid getting sick. That's why you got all this energy today. Yeah, I've had <laughs> I've had two days in a row. I've done a bunch of a bunch of IVs. The IVs are nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and um, man, so I uh, was talking to him about. He, when he was doing like his residency and stuff and he was working in a hospital and he had to go in at 4:45 every morning and he realized like he was helping people get well enough that they could leave the hospital and then continue the same behaviors <laughs> that would put them right back in the hospital yeah. and he didn't find that particularly meaningful and so he changed his direction he said i'd rather help people like you and bex who were doing things that i consider to be meaningful and serving the greater good and and good contributing to the world in a way i'd rather help people like you who are willing to help themselves yeah. and sometimes we're we're focused on people who aren't even we're trying to help people who aren't willing to help themselves people will will not change unless they want to change yeah. and I, I think that might be one of the most frustrating parts with family members is yes like i want to have the perfect mother i want to have the perfect father but if they don't want to change i can't change them i can't make them a, a good mom i can't make them a good dad right you can't you can't drag them kicking and screaming until and by the way, good is perspectival too, right? Because, yeah. um, well, two two points here. One is it can it can always be worse, so it's relatively good or relatively bad. But but then also, um, oh, where, where the hell was I going with this? I don't know. Well, let me let me get back to this text <laughs> well, and hopefully it'll pop back well, up. Well, let me, let me let me bring up one more thing about so far in this article that I think is a really really important takeaway is we also need to look at what we are tr what we have on our plates in life uh, in our on our life plate basically yeah. and what i when i heard you reading this article what i think about are people who reach out to me via email cuz you know my email address is in our book and i get a ton of emails which is great i love talking to people sometimes i get like a 10,000 word email though and it's like okay let me just start off by saying you know i'm a, i'm a i'm a mother or i'm a father i've got kids and uh you know they've got all soccer practice and they've got this and then i've also got this hobby that i like and then there's this job that i have right now but i'd really like to go off and do this and they just lay out everything that's on their plate mm -hmm. and i just look at that and my instead of me giving a 10,000 word response i usually will send them one or two sentences and it's something along the lines of 
what is your plan with all of this? Because there is no plan when your plate is just overflowing. Right. You're just constant, constantly trying to scoop things up and put them back on your plate. Mm-hmm. And I think this article by Derek Severs, if, if you look at it the right way, it can help you, if you feel overwhelmed, it can help you kind of look at what you have on your plate and decide, yes, what, not what can I add, what can I remove? Yeah, I like the plate analogy because it shows you that just like you're, you're 24 hours in a day, you have so much space you can fill. Mm-hmm. And if your plate is already full, you're not gonna be able to put on your plate the things you actually want there. Like maybe you've been served this plate through the circumstances, through the bad decisions you've made, through the decisions other people have made. You have whatever's on your plate right now in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you're probably not, if it's already full, you're not gonna get what you want on that plate until first you're able to remove some of the things from the plate clear the plate even and in doing so then you can start to fill it with what you consider to be more meaningful Uh, back to the text here the least successful people i know run in conflicting directions drawn to distractions say yes to almost everything are chained to emotional obstacles those two words ryan emotional obstacles yeah what does that mean to you Oh man, uh, well, going back to what we were talking about with family, I mean, we feel obligated to, I guess, put up with our family's uh, uh, baggage, essentially. I mean, I know growing up, and, and, and even now, like you talk to a lot of my family members, they will say, oh, we're family, so you know, we need to be there. I remember one time, one of my family members was saying to another, I'm trying to like to be as ambiguous as possible. I'm sure none of them are Patreon <laughs> patrons, but but uh, one family member is like, oh, you know what? I'm so glad that uh, we're related because uh, uh, you love me and no matter how I treat you, you always have to be there for me. Nope. Yeah, I heard that and I'm like, that that's ridiculous. Like family members we should go out of our way to treat better than what we treat our friends it isn't this it isn't this obligation to just be there and get beat up on Mm -hmm. because we have the same blood Mm -hmm. uh it's it's unfortunate but a lot of the times that's what people use family as an excuse for oh you're a family member you should and it's like no you definitely should not so i think that's that's certainly one of those emotional obligations yeah, uh, well, he said emotional obstacles. I'm sure too. emotional obstacles. Yeah, for, for what me, do you think of when I when I think about emotional obstacles? I think of the sort of knee jerk reaction that I have, where it's um, oh, I don't feel like I explain myself thoroughly, or I'm afraid the the way that this is going to come off, someone's going to judge me. Mm. And you know what? That's true. It's mm. the reason that this Patreon thing works so well for us is it's a small group of understanding people who have proven their their understanding and they find value in our message and what we're trying to communicate. They've also, because we've set the expectation, they've proven that they're willing to give us the leeway to screw some things up and talk about some stuff that we otherwise m- might not talk about in public, but we could talk about it in, in front of... Um, in front of a smaller group of people, yeah. you know, trusted friends, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And and so sometimes I think quite often what we need to do is realize the appropriate setting for something. I see this on social media all the time, you know, the, the tweet equivalent of woe is me. I mean, you yeah. might as well just tweet woe is me or shitty day, don't ask. When, that, when you hear that, it's like, well, no, you're actually asking me to ask you about that. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, and so for me, the emotional obstacles are whenever we, we tether emotion to something that logic can 
reason its way through. Yeah. It becomes unnecessary. An obstacle, you know, when a tree falls down on the road, that is an obstacle that you can either get around or maybe you have to move the obstacle altogether. I think emotions can often do that with a lot of the the more rational or reasonable conversations mm. that we're trying to have when we can remove emotion. Uh, when Bex and I got into an argument this weekend, first argument I think we've ever had, um, she said, hey, I want to talk about this right now. I said, I'm really angry right now, and now is not a good time to talk about it because you deserve better than me giving you anger. Mm-hmm. And so we had to wait like a period of time before I could even talk about it because I knew that I was angry. Yeah. And um, and doing that, making the space, it allowed me to come back to it without that emotional obstacle. Yeah. It allowed me to enter the conversation with more logic. And also, it helped me listen to her. Yeah. Uh, it helped me be able to say, okay, I need to listen to what her concerns are yeah. a- in order for me to uh, to address them. And, and, and maybe I'm not going to agree with them, but I can't know that until I listen to them first. Yeah. Have you done that before when you get into the heat of the moment, you have that emotional obstacle and you're like, I disagree with you, I know in advance. I, I disagree right. with you in advance. Yeah, so I'm not, li- I'm not actually listening to your point of view because I've already, I've already realized I disagree with you. So now I'm just repairing, preparing my rebuttal in my head yes. to give you, yeah, absolutely. Anger, yeah, anger is certainly a, uh, an emotional obstacle without a doubt. Have you seen the new Jerry Seinfeld uh, Netflix special. I think so. Not Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, why do I always confuse him with Ray Romano? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? They're the same. They're the same person in my head. Probably. I've never be- watched either one of their shows. Yeah, probably because they they both had popular shows in the '90s. Right, but yeah. they also have like dark hair, and they're roughly the same age. And um, yeah, yeah. Ray Romano, I've not seen Ray's new. Uh, it, it's special. good, although I mean, I think. Maybe it's just parallel thinking, but it, it, it's very suspicious. It looks like he almost ripped off Andrew Schultz's first comedy special, which was called 441. You and I listened to the audio. It was yeah. called 551 because he, he did an extra uh, set on the audio version. But Andrew Schultz, who's going to be on the podcast soon, um, he he did this comedy special where he did four different clubs in one night just walking around New York City. So he went to the Comedy Cellar and the Village Underground and, and, and these different places mm-hmm. and did 15-minute sets and then pieced it all together yeah. to one sort of hour-long special. Yeah. Right? And it's up on YouTube. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's uh, super offensive f- for those of you, uh, but that's how comedy S- should be. So Ray did this uh, Ray did this similar approach where he was doing different he comedy different, clubs? He did two different comedy clubs in New York. Same comedy clubs even. Oh, wow. And uh, like did the, the sort of interstitial footage in between them yeah, you know how this you know how the showbiz world works man i mean dude what was i forget what it was called but so we had that uh the minimizers that we had an awesome awesome dude uh, the producer cash cab uh i forget his name cohen uh, tom tom cohen yeah yeah he was uh you know going out there and he had this really good idea for we did a production deal for a tv show basically yeah 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 long story short but it's funny because like you know it, it didn't go through which is fine like it's not like we expected it to anyway uh it was just something it was an idea that we were kind of trying out but then what happened like all of a sudden there was this uh certain channel uh-huh. that was putting on a show <laughs> that was outlined exactly what Tom Cohen was outlining with with our show. It's like you can infuriate. Yeah, it's crazy. It was, it was the same show that we were that we were went around pitched. I think to twenty two different networks yeah. and and it's my uh, face, dude. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I cross my arms too much. <laughs> you know, it's uh, we went around pitched it. It just the timing wasn't right. It was before our Netflix thing was out there and mm. and all these other things. And by the way. In retrospect, 
I'm so grateful it didn't happen, man. Yeah, me too. Because I I would I'm not gonna say never because maybe there's a circumstance where it would work, but I can't see myself doing a show for a network like no. Bravo or where we have to do a 22 minute TV show with eight minutes of commercials sandwiched yeah. in between. Well, what's nice about what we do now too is like yes, it aligns with our values and beliefs, but we get to decide when we do our creations when we actually create it's not this under an obligation and sorry we got to get season two filmed like we got to get it filmed in these next three months i mean we can kind of take our time especially with you know the health stuff that both of us have going on it's nice to be able to to uh yeah clear our plates when we need to yes indeed yeah so uh, so, so going back to ray's special you yeah what, what were ray you? seinfeld yeah ray seinfeld what were you no ray romano did, did the special and uh he it, it reminded me of this, this what we were just talking about with the preemptive arguments oh and he was like you know my wife he was talking about his wife he goes i just i know that no matter what i do for her it, she's not going to like it in fact she's going to be upset with it he goes here's an example the other day i know she was at t- she was on the couch watching tv and i know she really likes popcorn so I'm, wa- I'm walking past and i'm like hey honey i'm gonna make you some popcorn uh so, so you can enjoy during the show and she goes okay but bring enough <laughs> 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 like she all- already was arguing with him oh, wow. before that he brought it because <laughs> she was anticipating him not bringing enough of this thing that she enjoys. Mm. And and man, I think that's what we do a lot of the time. We're anticipating like you're going to screw this up. We're having arguments with future versions of people who don't actually exist because our mind is ruthless and it makes up these problems that don't exist so then yeah. we start tagging have you ever argued with like people in your mind of, oh, of something that's going going to happen in the future most of my shower time is spent having imaginary arguments with imaginary people <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why my that is man schizophrenic too yeah yeah it's uh <laughs> that's you, not what you're talking you about, should though. hear you should hear uh the debates i have though i am a king debater in the shower a master debater <laughs> one might say <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to Derek Sivers here. The most successful people I know have a have a narrow... Wait, so the previous paragraph is for the least successful people, right? Yep. They have all these conflicting directions that have distractions. They say yes to everything, and they're chained to emotional obstacles. And what's funny, Ryan, uh, just to reiterate that paragraph again, we often look at those people as successful. Mm. The They have the facade of success, right? I mean, what do you hear? you hear oh, i'm really busy right now it's a yeah. busy time in my life right. the, to me that just means oh your life is out of control right or really it means my life when i say i'm busy what i'm really saying is i don't have control of my own time yeah my life is out of control and so it apes the form of success because we've we've crowned this idea there's this gold plating around this rotting interior get of, shit done yeah, yeah it's terrible the most successful people i know have a narrow focus protect against time wasters, say no to almost everything, and have let go of old limiting beliefs. Mm. And that's where this thing, here's where I I think psychotherapy fails quite a bit. Um, When we're constantly just going back and looking at our parents. Yeah. uh, Our our current problems are sort of blaming it on childhood. It's no question that everything that we've done up to this point Mm-hmm. including our childhoods, led us to this point. Absolutely. There's there, the residue. Yes, and there might be things that we have to uh, maybe get some closure on or really understand why things happened, mm-hmm. but continuing to go back to it. 
yeah you're continuing to go, it, it's a waste of time it's yeah. it, what do you say letting go of old limiting beliefs yeah. Th- there might be s- some understanding in going back but living in that past here's why where i am right now you, you're not going to you're not going to make your future self better by staring in the rear view yeah you, the uh, the only path to a better future self is a better current self absolutely because you can't improve your past self you can only improve upon your past self i don't know why but well i do know why uh the person that came to mind uh, when you're reading the what the most successful people do michelle obama (laughs) i love michelle but no that's not who i was thinking about uh jonathan franzen and Ah. how and how he is you know he's a great author Mm -hmm. but he's very focused on one project at a time yeah. And it for may, many years sometimes. Yeah, it may take him five years. Or uh, Andrew Bell. Um, yeah. He's another good example too where he uh, doesn't do a lot. He doesn't have a lot on his plate. But what he does have on his plate, he's extremely focused with. And man, when that creation comes out, when you got to wait the five years for that creation to come out, mm-hmm. it's so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think I think Andrew Bell is... Uh, an even better example for one extra reason. Jonathan Franzen, yeah, like freedom took him nine years to, well, it was a year to write, but he said, I had to go live my life for eight years to Mm. be able to write, take that one year to write this book. Mm. Um, Which just think about that for a second, writing a masterpiece like freedom and like doing the composition in one year. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a genius, but um, he has this wild sort of success, right? Runaway bestseller success, really well known in the literary world. All of his books have been optioned for movies or TV shows. Andrew Bell is the quintessential indie artist. Mm. I was in a coffee shop in Santa Monica yesterday after my IV. A place called Metro. Have you been there? (laughs) It's like the most LA thing I've ever heard you say. I know, right? (laughs) Well, uh, I was trying to not get... But it it, it was an even... It was a stranger experience because it was a donation-only coffee shop. Oh, uh, which, so, which one's this? Metro is really good, man. Is it, it tasty? Yeah, it's yeah. good. I think it's on Arizona. Do they, br- they roast their own? Or they no, they use curator? Ritual, I think. Okay. Um, but uh, it was a really good experience, and the people there were so, so friendly. Like, I was certain they were Mormons. I don't know if they were or not, but, like, always the friendliest people I run across. Many of our fr- yes. uh, our friendliest friends yeah. uh, are Mormons. Yeah. And, and so, like, but they were just so friendly to me, and I go to pay, and they're like, uh, have you been here before? And I'm like, no, it's my first time. And this is really good. Thank you. It's a beautiful aesthetic. It's like, it's like a minimalist bohemian aesthetic. Aesthetic, like it's kind of mismatched, but still a very sparse aesthetic. Minimalistbohemian.com. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone's hopping on that right now. Yeah. Uh, I remember our friend, almost bohemian, uh, David. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just restarted that blog up. Oh, um, that's awesome. I don't know what he's gonna do with it, but I just got a random email. He's like, I started this blog ten years ago, and. It wasn't from him. It just I, I was so I was apparently still subscribed to his blog from oh, ten years wow, ago, and I didn't great. realize it. Anyway, um, I was in that coffee shop, and what is the point of my story at this point? You're in the coffee shop. It was donation. He's like, "Have you been here before?" Oh, yeah, he's like, "Have you been here before?" I'm like, "No." And he's like, "Oh, well, this is going to be your favorite part. You can just pay us whatever you want." <laughs> and so I'm like, "Oh man, what a dilemma!" Like, uh, do I give him a twenty or do I give him a five? Right, right, right. yeah. And so I, I ended up overpaying. I calculated in my head. And I'm like, and what would the tip be? And okay, let's just round up. And yeah. and I overpaid a little bit for it. And so I, to me, that's a good a good business model. I, I like I, I like private socialism. Like to yeah. me, private socialism works really well. Our yeah. friend AJ Leon and his yeah. wife Melissa. They what they do is they have like twenty something employees at Misfit, mm-hmm. and uh, they. 25% of all of their revenue gets 
immediately injected back into their philanthropic projects. Right. And it's no one, they're, they're taxing themselves basically. Yeah. And man, that is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, if everybody had that attitude, uh, yeah, there would be there would be little need for regulations. <laughs> we wouldn't have to have so many regulations. If we could just be good to each other. Yeah, if we could just look out for our community and we could just look out for our neighbor and like focus on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, it's, it, it, and it doesn't scale as well either, obviously, right? When you, mm-hmm. you live in, in uh, a big city mm-hmm. like Los Angeles, San Francisco, or places like that, Man, it's really hard. Like, I don't know what the answer is to the homeless crisis that we have. And we have a true crisis. Yeah. And I wish... It's just getting worse. I mean, it'd be great. Everyone has the black and white 30-second answer, obviously. Right. But my answer is only three words. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I know I can do my part. I can contribute how I can. And I always question whether, whether or not that's enough. But I can... Uh-oh. He's pouring <laughs> the water. That's talent. <laughs> you didn't spill a single drop. I know, man. Um, I'll return to the text here, though. More people die from eating too much than eating too little. Oh, God. That depresses me, man. Yeah. That is so depressing. Most of us have too much baggage, too many commitments, and too many priorities. And by the way, it's not even close. Especially in the developed world, it's not even close. Mm. Uh, functionally no one starves to death in the united states yeah you would have to you'd have to try you'd have to really go out of your way yeah i was thinking about this um i don't know in my early 20s i was like just basically thinking about what would happen if i just sat on the couch and i decided to just sit there and not feed myself and not do anything like what would eventually happen well eventually someone would show up Hmm. and evict me if it wasn't you know someone evicting me to be a family member showing up and then I'd be carted off to an institution, mm-hmm. maybe even like, you know, fed with a, a feeding tube. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're at, like, you really have to go out of your way. Well, I shouldn't say you have to go out of your way um, because I don't want to undermine some of the third world conditions there are in, no, in some in places the in the country. World. Yes. Yeah, it, yeah. There are some people who are obviously way less fortunate than us, people that are homeless. But yeah. even, even in, in this country, as poor as the homeless situation is, mm. the malnourishment in the homeless community often has to do with just the terrible foods that people have access not yeah. it's not starving to death right it's, it's feeding ourselves to death yeah they, they have only unhealthy options right yeah and so some people yeah uh, and and most of us feel like we have only unhealthy options because that's the convenient options mm-hmm. i was talking to dr green about that yesterday yeah. and he, he was talking to bex you know my wife's a dietitian and she is a paragon of health, just just a very healthy person. Mm-hmm. And instilling those um, habits into Ella is what she, but it's a constant battle. Like we had her run home the other day from the neighbor's house and she get, walked in with like, I forget what it was, like a fruit roll up or a granola bar or something, yeah. poison. She walked in the house with poison. <laughs> and and I, I see it that way. And, I'm, yeah. and it's like, oh, now we have to have a conversation. But it's hard to have that conversation with the neighbors to be like, hey, our daughter doesn't eat poison like your kids eat poison. Yeah. But you don't, you don't want to approach it that way because that's obviously judgmental. Yeah. It's just most of us don't know. I know for the longest time, I didn't know what was healthy and what was unhealthy. And even, even amongst dietitians and nutritionists and, and people in the know, scientists, we can't agree on what's healthy right now. We can't agree what is uh, on what is unhealthy. You know, right. We can all pretty much agree sugar is unhealthy. Processed foods are unhealthy. Generally, yeah. Chemicals are unhealthy. 
uh, non-whole foods are unhealthy. But beyond that, man, get into the details. You have people who are trying to kill themselves on YouTube, arguing with each other. Last paragraph here. More people die from eating too much than eating too little. Most of us have too much baggage, too many commitments, and too many priorities. Subtracting reminds me that what I need to change is something already here, not out there. Amen. What I need to change. It reminds me, Ryan, of people who need the perfect ritual in order to start their writing practice. Mm. I know that that was me for many years. Once the laundry's folded, once the dishes are done. Once that eight ball of cocaine was all gone. <laughs> yes. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> was Hunter S. <laughs> I know, people often confuse us. Uh, this question relates pretty close to that. Leah says, and I found this in our community tab, so she didn't even send it. I, and I don't answer all of these, but I thought it was perfect for... So on, on Patreon, if, if you're a... Well, you are, obviously, if you're listening to this, a Patreon... Uh, subscriber there's that little if you go to patreon.com slash the minimalist you click community tab you have people sharing photos of their minimalist journey to me it's kind of like what twitter used to be Mm. because it's but it's this close-knit community of people who are sharing things with each other commenting on each other we had this one person say, i've got this really great business opportunity and gave out the whole information and then other people are like no that's a scam let me show you why that's a scam wow they're helping each other out i love it dude it's like uh when i think about like our facebook uh, minimalist.org Facebook uh, online community uh-huh. there that is open to the public anyone can you know join that and, and add their own two cents but every once in a while you'll have you know you, you have someone who's just there to criticize they're they're seagulling they're just like swooping in taking a shit on what you do and then they swoop off right. and they're trying to cause controversy what I appreciate about the patreon community is like everyone is there to like lift each other up add value everyone's there to add value everyone is there to support one another to respect one another it's uh yeah it's gorgeous man i totally agree yeah so leah left this question and i thought it'd be appropriate for this she says i've been struggling for months on how to write out and ask you guys this question i'm 23 and by the way the best way to do this is always to send us a voicemail questions especially when we're when we're uh, on patreon we we prioritize your questions so uh anytime we have a particular topic we're doing an episode on like we're doing one on digital clutter or whatever then um just uh, send your voicemail or voice memo and following those instructions back to Leah's question here. I uh, ask you guys a question. I'm 23 and my long divorced parents are approaching their seventies within the next few years. Both suffer from severe and mental health conditions, severe, phys- severe physical and mental health conditions. So both as the youngest child, I've always felt obligated to take on the quote hero role and take care of my parents. Uh, okay. So let's stop there real quick, Ryan. The hero role. Yeah. Who told you you need to do that? Yeah. What? Who? Yeah. Who made you obligated to be the hero, Leah? I mean, I want to be the hero all the time. Yeah. I mean, when I think about a lot of my family members, like I just want to, you know, cradle them. I want to bring them out to L.A. I want to like help them live their lives. Mm. But I understand too that like I I can't be the hero all the time to every single person. And maybe that's not even the best definition of heroic either. Constantly saving people who aren't willing to save themselves. Yeah. And we'll get to that in a second here with the rest of her question. But but okay, who told you to be the hero? Right, Mm -hmm. Ryan. Yeah. And then who who created that definition of hero for you? Yeah. Because what does it mean to be a hero? Mm. Do you have to be Superman or? 
Super was Wonder Woman, Supergirl. I don't know. What. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on both accounts. Maybe. Okay. I love how this next sentence starts. As I grow older and wiser, she's 23. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, I think hopefully you are growing older, older and, and wiser. wiser. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're all growing older, I guess. As yeah. I grow younger yeah. and dumber. I, that, that's my that's my way of just saying, like, <laughs> Leah, you've got your whole life ahead of you. I'm, yeah, I'm glad that she her mind is here at 23 because mine certainly wasn't. Mine wasn't there at 28 when my mom died, and uh, so let's talk a little about that. Uh, she says, as I grow older and wiser, I feel less responsible for them because I realize they are adults uh, and they continuously made poor health decisions and rarely make an effort to help themselves to this day. That's mm. the big point. Yep. That is, yeah. They take for granted the things I do for them by often treating me with disrespect. As I grow older, oh my God. I also want to move toward, I also want to move forward with my minimalist lifestyle, move to a warmer client many hours away, downsize, travel, have a business, etc. Okay, that's a lot of things. That's a lot of things you're putting on your plate. What is your plan, Leah? <laughs> However, right. I know I don't have much time left with my parents, okay? Is it selfish to want to move on from my aging parents to pursue something more meaningful? Let me let me just read the response that I quickly wrote. I wrote this in like 30 seconds. So this is this is what I wrote in response to her, but then I want to talk about it with you, Ryan. Operating in your own self-interest isn't selfish. It's often hard to distinguish the two. The former is about providing for yourself so you can provide for others. Being selfish, on the other hand, means you're hurting others to get what you want. No, you are not obligated to continue to serve your parents, but you can contribute to them if you determine it's the absolute best use of your time. You get to decide what you offer them and at what distance. Yeah. That last word, or la the sentence in that, that, the word in the last sentence there, offer, I was listening to a Pete Holmes podcast he did with uh, uh, Matt Nathanson. He, did, him, he and Matt Nathanson did this podcast, and it's one of my favorite podcast episodes I've ever heard because they were just talking about their sort of mommy daddy issues right mm. but in a way they really related to each other they're both from lexington massachusetts okay and so they grew up in this sort of small town relatively close to, to uh boston and um they have what they call uh uh bostism like there's this this boston mindset that like y your parents have uh this control over you and your psyche even after you're gone <laughs> but i think it's not just a boston thing yeah. right um but uh, Pete said this thing that was so profound to me. I was just listening to this the other day. He, his mom said, you know, she was in, I guess in town or whatever. He was in town over there. And she's like, um, well, and he, he's talking about what he was doing on, you know, Sunday night or something. And, and, it's, and he goes, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be having dinner with my wife. She goes, well, why, why can't I come to that dinner? <laughs> Who's, who asked him this? His mom. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so funny. And, and, yeah. and he said, because that's not what I'm offering. <laughs> yeah. And at first that almost sounds cold, right? Mm. But what I got out of it was that's not what I have to offer right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think the question that Leah has to struggle with and has to determine is what do you have to offer? And then what is at what cost? Mm. And then by the way, at what distance? It just doesn't mean, just because you're at, you've created a physical distance from them doesn't mean you can't offer something. And by the way, sometimes the best thing you can offer them 
is that distance. It's the most leverage you have, especially if they're being disrespectful. Yeah. Well, I th- you know, I think uh, where Leah might be is she's feeling so disrespected or unsupported. I mean, she's got this, she's at a boiling point is what it sounds like. And when we reach these boiling points in our lives, whether it's with a relationship or whether it's with our jobs or whether it's with school, we often feel like we have to go one way or the other. We have to either be all in or all out. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, uh, I, I had that um, feeling with, um, with with some of my family members. And what I realized is that the ones that I really, really want to be close to and I want to you know, help them live a meaningful life, however, they aren't making the right decisions. I mean, because she said here, her parents often, uh, you know, they, they rarely make an effort to help themselves to this day. And those are the relationships I have to look at and say, yes, I wish it was one way, but I have to accept how it actually is. And that doesn't mean that I have to throw my hands in the air and say, you know what, I'm sorry, like you're, you're not willing to make decisions for yourself or you're not willing to make the right decisions. You're not willing to put the effort in. So I'm certainly not going to put any effort in. Mm-hmm. But what that, so it doesn't mean that. What it does mean for me though is to just basically go out of my way to support them whenever I can. Mm-hmm. So, and, and sometimes that support is just being kind. Yeah, exactly. Just listening when you can. Yeah. However, if yeah. they if they start contributing vitriol to mm-hmm. the relationship, mm-hmm. you can cut them off. Sure. And the other thing too is Leah's got to have the conversation with her parents. If she's feeling disrespected, she's got to say to her parents, hey, I really love you guys and I want to support you as much as I can and I want you to be happy. And I know that you guys love me. And because you love me so much, you want me to be happy. But lately, I really feel like you aren't supporting me with X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And in order for us to have a really good relationship, for me to give as much as I want to give to this relationship, and I will continue to give, I also need support from from you all. Right. And and sometimes just having that, having that conversation, I, I've had that conversation with family members that that a very similar conversation and ultimately one or two things happen they either look at you and they say you're crazy you know we're fine you're not you know it's your problem then if that's if that's the response then that is when you start to love someone from a distance or better they look at that and they say you know what you're right i didn't realize Mm. how disrespectful I was being. I didn't realize how much support you needed. I didn't really realize that you needed support in that specific area. And I'll, I'll tell you, I think that probably happens the majority of the time. Uh, very rarely is someone going to look at you and just, uh, you know, throw their hands in the air. Yeah. And don't, you don't have to make them feel judged. In, in fact, of course not. When, when you're having that conversation with them, you can, you can bring it back to the fact that, Hey, um, I, I I feel disrespected right now. I know that's not your intention. Yeah. And 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 having the difficult conversation, that is important. But who better to have a difficult conversation with than the people you care about the most? Yeah. Instead, we waste our time on difficult conversations on on YouTube or uh, Facebook or Twitter. It's like, I'm going to have the difficult conversations over here because I don't know these people. Mm. It doesn't really serve your life the same way. Having a difficult conversation with your parents is, is going to. Now, Ryan, you said she's reached this boiling point. Yeah. Go back to that Derek Sivers essay. What's the best way to turn down the boil? Not to turn up the temperature. Right. 
And and one thing that she's doing right now at this at this boiling point, one thing that might turn up the temperature for you right now is like, well, I also want to downsize, travel, have a business, etc. Okay, those are fine. Those are all great. I want to do those things too, except for travel. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to travel again. <laughs> um, no, but I will. But but you can do one thing at a time and the first thing is you need to figure out what your relationship looks like with your parents going forward yeah and then figure out what direction you want to go in yeah maybe you do want to move to california for a while or warmer florida or whatever Mm -hmm. great you can do that but also realize it's a it's a period of time and yes you are your parents are going to die eventually Mm mm-hmm maybe 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, maybe 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, one of my biggest regrets in my own life is not spending more time with my mother before she died. Yeah. But she also wasn't in the situation where she was being disrespectful toward me. Yeah, she was in a position where she hadn't, she had smoked since she was 16 years old and that all, that's ultimately what you know, killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she hadn't treated herself perfectly, but none of us treat ourselves perfectly. We can understand that, you know what, you can move forward with your parents. Your relationship has to look different from what it looks like right now. Whether that's repairing it and staying with them or moving forward, you get to decide what you offer them and at what distance. Amen. We got some surprise voicemail questions here. Podcast Sean, can we dive into these? I think we have time to, we'll try to answer all five of them. Our first one is from Jada in Jacksonville, Florida. Wait, if it's a surprise, how did you know Jada's name? (laughs) Sean sent this to me. (laughs) Oh. I just wanted to call regarding youth um, and minimalism. I remember that you guys had mentioned in your hoarding podcast that um, most of your crowd ranges from your age and older. And I just wanted to know um, if you could talk more in depth about your partake on um, youth and, and minimalism and how uh, we can go about being minimal when we don't have much control over our lives as we are still dealing with um, our parents and, um, you know, a lot of things that we possess are getting bought in for us and we don't have much control over what we purchase and what we throw out. All right, so youth and minimalism. She said something that was interesting. I don't remember saying this on the hoarding podcast, right? But she said that the people at our at our crowds are our age and older. That's definitely not true. Yeah. Um, so if I said that, I misspoke. But um, you know, it, it's our audiences. I see so many high school kids showing up now, bringing their parents with them. Dude, it's like the biggest compliment ever. Yeah, and and then you see, yeah, we obviously see people who are older than us who show up as well, and sort yeah. of everyone in between. And seeing the U's show up though, like gives me hope for the future. And and I think one way to produce that hope and in, in Jada here is to she said something that was very disempowering. Yeah. I don't have control. I don't get to make my own decisions on things. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. I bet you have control ninety percent of the time and you're shining a, a spotlight on the ten percent of the time you don't have control. Ryan, what was we were just having a conversation before this started about the the cassette tape your father found. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like having any. So you had very controlling father. Yeah. So like having uh, any type of 
you know, uh, album in my possession that had, you know, explicit lyrics on it. So this was probably what, 95? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, you know, my dad would find them, take them away, destroy them. I mean, he he was found a, a offspring cassette, my uncle, my 12 year old Indian uncle. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my stepmother's Cherokee, Uh uh, she had a, uh, a brother who was younger than me so by default you know that's my uncle by uh-huh. marriage yes uh f- yes he, he found the cassette tape and ratted me out to my dad <laughs> and my dad yeah he uh made sure to take a hammer to it in front of me to you know prove some kind of point mm-hmm. but you know to jade is to jade's point like yes there are things that her parents have set up boundaries for mm-hmm. and as a child even with my dad yeah he was controlling but guess what man i she's right like there are certain boundaries i don't have a choice over Mm -hmm. and so the boundaries that her parents set up i i think that yes those should be respected yeah yeah maybe have a conversation with her parents but like with my dad there is no like it's always a one-sided conversation here i go talking about all my daddy issues but but here's the thing jada look at what you do have control over so if i'm 16 years old or or, or thinking about talking to a 16 year old about how can you incorporate minimalism how can you incorporate intentionality or simple living uh, at 16 years old i mean the first things that come to my mind are well debt i mean she's going to be 18 pretty soon so she gets to make the decision on on how much debt she starts to incur in her life. And hopefully it's zero. Hopefully it's zero. Relationships. Man, in high school, like I really wish I would have been focused on meaningful relationships. I was so worried about what other people thought. Uh-huh. And I was so worried about being uh, associated with the right people and being part of, you know, being a cool kid, which I was cool. was so cool. Right? <laughs> you had my, six pack abs. My mom said I was cool. There's nothing cooler than six pack abs. <laughs> but, but, but those are things that Jada does have control over. She also has control of her time. How is she spending her time? Mm. How is she spending her attention? So yes, Jada, you're right. Maybe there's 10% of your life that you don't get to choose the boundaries. You don't get to choose these specific rules, but there, there is, there is 90% more out there that you absolutely have some influence and control over and take a look at the resources essay that we did the, the acronym that we use is steam mm-hmm. right s-t-e-a-m you have control over those resources the ones you just mentioned ryan so you well i'll just go through them in order you mentioned two of them um the s is skills yeah. you have your own skills now skills are different from talent talent you're born with something like lebron james was born with talent right yeah. but he also built a meaning he could have probably done any sport and exceeded. If he was a UFC fighter, he'd probably be the best UFC fighter in the world. Mm. If he's a football you know, tight end, he'd be the best tight end in the world. Yeah. It just happens he's the best basketball player in the world. Yeah. That's uh, so. So his talent is athleticism. Mm-hmm. His skill is basketball. Yeah. And so, what is your skill? What skills are you working on developing? Too often we we say. I saw this thing from Seth Godin recently. He was talking about like. Um, uh, well, as soon as something makes me passionate, then I'll work hard at it. Like, oh, that's backwards. What yeah. you and I always say, you confuse excitement for yeah. passion. If something makes you excited, then yet you're still got to work at it in order for it to become a passion. Yeah, I had a relative who uh, basically... They were just talking about how they, you know, they, they don't want to work, you know, in a factory the rest of their lives, and they really want to go out and try to do X, Y, and Z, but they hadn't had the... Uh, the excitement or that passion and they were just waiting until the passion hit them and they prayed and they'd lock themselves in the room for a couple days to pray and, and, and hopefully God like, you know, gives them this passion towards something. 
if you have that approach, you're going to be waiting your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, never going to be able to take action. So it's skills. Develop the skills. Yep. Skill. And, and so you have control over that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, you know, playing uh, piano. Maybe it's writing. Maybe it's directing little indie home movies mm-hmm. with your phone. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with a phone. Now, I remember uh, there's a, a musician, BJSR, who this is a decade ago. Back, he's from Dayton, Ohio. Um, he did a music video on an iPhone 3. Wow. And, and Classic. What uh, a hipster, man. And, but this is when iPhone <laughs> 3 was like new, right? Yeah. And they like did this beautiful music video with an iPhone 3. And mm. our technology and just the most rudimentary smartphone now or iPod Touch is so much better yeah. than that. But he made a beautiful music video. And so you can you can take whatever tools you have and create something beautiful. I mean, what did Jordan do with the, the Screenless Saturdays thing? Yeah. He used a 60-year-old camera. It's probably 60 years old, right? Yeah, 60-year-old film camera, yeah. analog camera. And Sean had like a $10 cassette tape recorder. <laughs> we made a video. It's up on our YouTube channel. We'll put a link to that in the show notes just about Screenless Saturdays. And we went and filmed it somewhere. But the thing, the, the video's cool. It was a good uh, project. But I had so much fun with you guys that mm, day yeah. with all four of us just sort of hanging out and like planning it. And we, we screwed up a bunch. We also were like searching for a payphone that day because I wasn't using my phone. Yeah. I was trying to call Bex and Ella. So like I, we never did anything with that footage. Maybe we should do something for, yeah, we'll do some. Yeah, do something. I don't know what we'll do, but yeah. uh, do something where we we spent half a day looking for payphones. And you realize, and we finally found one, and it was empty. Then we found one, and it didn't work. And finally, at the very end of our day, when we had given up. Mm-hmm. What a metaphor. Yeah. When you give it up, give up, it appears. Yeah. Um, and, and I I think maybe your friend who's just sitting or family member who's sitting around mm-hmm. waiting for the epiphany. Yeah give up on it and actually just start doing the work. Yeah, just start doing stuff. Give up on the epiphany yeah. and maybe it'll eventually show up. So back to Steam. We got skills Yeah, and, 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 and then, then you, talent? Uh, no, the T stands for time. Ah, okay. Yeah, so you have your time. Now, you don't, maybe as a teenager, you don't get to decide every moment of your day. You have to, you have to go to school, but um, you have time that is your own time, mm-hmm. right? E is energy. Yeah. How are you spending that energy that you have? And all of us have different levels of energy. We do. And, and whether, it's, whether it's, you know, because we were born with it or whether we have some kind of illness or whatever it is, like all of us have a certain amount of energy we have to be very, very uh, deliberate with. But you have 100% of the energy you can expend, right? Amen, yeah. And in the choosing, how am I going to use it? Am I going to just use this to, well, you know, I'm just going to be on YouTube all day. That's how I'm going to spend right. my energy. Yeah. Or am I going to focus on this writing project or learning to play guitar? Mm-hmm. How am I going to spend this energy? Yeah. You get to decide that. The A stands for attention. Yeah. And, and man, it's the most precious resource we have, I think, is our attention. Yeah. It's, it's a limited resource, but advertisers act like it's unlimited. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I got rid of Facebook, man, because I realize like, that takes my attention and it draws attention away from other things. And I found myself... Um, just, I don't know, man, just, just not really feeling good about what I was doing with that attention. The last one is money. Yeah. And we put it last for a reason because it is important. It's why it's part of the, it's part of this, uh, this acronym, but it is the least important. However, we, most of us, and I know I did this for most of my life, Mm -hmm. most of us live our lives 
like it's the most important of our resources. Mm. But back to what we the question we were asking earlier, Ryan, mm-hmm. who told you it's the most important resource? Yeah. Well, I think what happens, that's funny you say that. I just had this thought. Money looks like the easy way out. Ah. I mean, that's what it is. And as human beings, man, I think we all tend to look for the most frictionless way to do things. And yeah. money seems like it just removes all the friction. Mm-hmm. And there's two problems with that. A, it does not remove all the friction. And B, sometimes it removes the wrong amount of friction. Yeah, and you slide all over the place. Yeah. Because, it, and by the way, you got all these things that you wanted. You wanted all the money in the world, the fame, the whatever. What did I hear recently? That fame is... Uh, the excrement of creativity. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like you you don't actually want the things you think you want quite often, right? right. You you want to be able to create something meaningful yeah. and you'll get other things that come with it. Occasionally, if you help people solve problems, money will, will show up in, 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 at some point, but it shouldn't be the primary driver. Yeah. Our next question is from Anna in Bronxville, New York. And I just wanted to understand how uh, you might think about the minimalist lifestyle as it w- could pertain to um, visual artists. I'm a visual artist. I'm a painter. I've been a painter and a teacher for over 30 years. Um, I'm actually a painter longer than that. And I um, wanted to understand how you guys think about paring down, if you're a visual artist, which involves materials and you know, uh, stuff that you make your art with. In my case, it's paint and brushes and all of the different uh, accoutrements that go with making these objects in the long run, which, um, you know, stack up either in my studio or um, if I sell them, which I do in other people's spaces. Yeah, you know, Ryan, I, I think about this, whether it's a visual artist or a in, any type of creative person. By the way, we're all creatives to some extent, yeah. right? I, the thing I teach in my writing class, the How to Write Better writing class, is um, you're all writers. And you have been for... In fact, we often, we, we, especially when we think of kids, because sometimes I have high school kids take the, the class. I have people who are retired take the class. Yeah. And we often think of young kids like they're ruining the English language with the text mm. messaging and they're abbreviating words. And I'm sure podcast Sean, the way his daughters text him, drives him insane. Um, but the truth is that people our age and especially younger, so millennials in particular, mm-hmm. the most literate generation of all time. That's great. And and so they're all writers. It's just we have to, we've expanded the definition. Um, when your grandfather graduated high school, mm-hmm. Ryan, he may have written the last paragraph of his life. On average, that was when people wrote the last paragraph of their life. Oh, wow. Written out was at 18 years old because wow. most vocations did not, it no longer required. You could write your name or your address or something, but you didn't actually write at, at that point. Yeah. Now we're writing everything, emails and text messages and tweets and blogs and you can write books. What about a visual painter or a visual artist? Whether you're a painter or you're doing something, my uh, uh, former girlfriend, uh, Colleen, who I wrote about in uh, Everything That Remains, she's a collage artist and yeah. she's like super, Great. super talented. Stuff, yeah. And um, so that's the type of visual art. And it's amazing what I see when she would create visual uh, art or these collages. But she posts a new collage every day on Instagram. Yeah. And when she does that, the amount of work that goes into it 
it's the essence of minimalism. Mm-hmm. She uses magazine cutouts mm-hmm. and like, literally glues things together. Mm-hmm. But you should, she has this mountain of scraps yeah. from two, three dozen magazines mm-hmm. and all this paper and all this stuff. It's all this extra that she subtracts. Yeah. All these extra bits hit the cutting room floor so you can get down to the essence of what you're trying to do. Yeah, That's true when you're writing a book. Uh, I think about this book, Essential, was 700, 700 pages, Sean? Because we collected a bunch of essays that Sean had to edit. That's why he knows that it's 700 pages. And it's, what, 330 pages now? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, this book, Everything That Remains was 700 plus pages 760 i think and now it's 200 pages yeah that's what minimalism does it takes sometimes you have to build up the excess all this the sediment Mm -hmm. so you can go panning for gold yeah it helps you find the gold yeah absolutely i i think too like putting as an artist putting the limitation on on how long you keep certain items how long it is that you're willing to commit to a certain project like minimalism, it's not about just getting rid of our stuff. It's about living an intentional life. And to live an intentional life, we have to have boundaries. Mm-hmm. So like Colleen, for example, she has a mountain of uh, you know magazines to pull from. Right. She doesn't have two mountains. Right. And 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 you know, she she might have a project that she's working on, and if she can't complete that project, then maybe it's time to put it down and, and to discard it and move on to another one. Well, I mean, if she had two mountains, it may actually take away. I think it's a beautiful point, man, because, uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. Y- y- if you, if you have too much, then there's two, you're not going to find the gold within the sediment. Yes. What's the other thing uh, that you always say, Josh is, uh, limitations breeds creativity. Yeah. So sometimes as an artist, you've got too many options. Mm-hmm. And it's all overwhelming. I mean, I can only imagine, uh, you know, because I know how I used to hold on to things just in case. Oh, I might just, I might use that cable one day. This, you know, there's an extra micro USB cable. Yeah, I might use that. Where with a visual artist, it's like, oh man, I've got this like, you know, case of jugs. And I, you know, I might use these glass jugs one day. And and uh, having this this just in case. Well, if you've got jugs and you've got light bulbs and you've got string and you've got sometimes having too many things, it's it's overwhelming and it, it, it you kind of get stuck in this like paralysis of choice. Yeah. What exactly are you going to use? They've actually shown that when you have more than six choices, it does, it, there's a recent study on this. Mm. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts because the the SIBO thing I'm going through and the the, the gut brain connection. But when we have more than six choices, it actually makes us slightly depressed. Yeah, wow. Uh, it, it, because we get so overwhelmed that we tend to like shut down. Yeah, I could see that, man. You kind of you shut down and you feel a little depressed because you're not 100% confident that you've made the right choice right, out of all there, these choices. Uh, and you start second guessing that choice you had. I think the important thing is to make the choice yeah. and move on. And sometimes it's going to be the wrong choice. And that's okay because you get to make more choices after that. Yeah. So, Annie, you've got to find those boundaries that work best for you. I would say take a, if you've got a room full of stuff, uh, give a date on that room. How long are you going to allow that stuff to clutter your life? Maybe it's maybe it's 30 days. Maybe it's 
a year, whatever it is, choose an end date, create those boundaries, Anna, that are going to help you. They're going to force you to be creative because if, you know, going back to, you know, the crates of stuff that I know that artists hold on to just random, you know, kind of findings. Yeah. Uh, if you give yourself an end date and say, I'm going to create something with these items by a certain date and you put all the effort into it and nothing really ever comes from it. Great then you know that that really wasn't that good of an idea. Or what happens is, is that you have this end date and because the date is approaching closer and you're working on it, finally you are able to craft something. But yes, I, I just want to go back to saying, Anna, create those boundaries for yourself. That's what's going to help you uh, live the most deliberate life. As you work toward that end date, Ryan, you, you're, you've essentially given yourself a permission slip to let go. Either way, yeah. you create the project and now you get to let go of those materials mm-hmm. or you don't create it and you have your end date and you have your permission s- slip now to subtract or to let go. Our next question is from Diana in Columbus. My question is about my grandmother who just turned 96 years old in July. For as long as I can remember, my grandmother was very particular about her possessions having everything in its right spot, and telling me stories about the meaning behind the objects in her home. These were things like a collection of teacups and saucers that no one ever used, or porcelain dolls that represented each of her children. So my grandmother was definitely not a minimalist. The last year she became ill and had to have surgery. She had been doing fine up to that point and was still living on her own. But after the surgery... Uh, Her children decided that she could no longer live alone, and she was put into a nursing home without any of her belongings and never really having a chance to say goodbye or let go of her possessions that had once meant so much to her. Listening to your podcast, it occurred to me that she had sort of undergone a very drastic and maybe traumatic version of minimalism. So I was wondering what, if any, suggestions you might have to help someone adapt to a more minimal lifestyle that they may not have necessarily or voluntarily chosen. Any advice would be welcome. So Ryan, um, this might relate to you. I mean, you've had some situations come up recently with grandparents and stuff. Yeah. Is that something you want to talk about? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, well, Dinah's question has to do with being forced into minimalism. No such thing. I don't think there's a such thing. I think we get forced into maybe deprivation, or we get forced into... Uh, just a situation that we didn't expect, but minimalism is not, uh, it's not force. It is, it is a choice. And I guess that being said, uh, when I look at my grandfather who just passed away, um, he, it was very unexpected. It was very sudden. There was no warning signs. He just, he had a heart attack and passed. He was 81 years old. Well, my, my, my Oma, she has to make some decisions now because the pension isn't coming in anymore. Mm. She has a different. She has a different uh, cash flow. She has a house full of stuff. Mm. She knows she's going to have to sell her house. Mm. So what I am finding with her and and my aunt, uh, God love her, she's taking care of most of this stuff and she's down there with uh, with with her right now with my Oma with her mother and she's helping her set up these boundaries and and she's not forcing these boundaries mm. upon her. What she's saying is is here is what. Here's where we need to be, and here's what we have. And how can you and I work together to get where we need to be? So maybe a simpler way of saying that is, is you know, Diana can take advantage of this moment, or maybe not take advantage, but just take this moment and help her grandmother uh, come up with 
the boundaries. This is an opportunity for, uh, for her to go out of her way. And, um, yes, like great. I know that you like your stuff, grandma. I know you love it. So you've got this one corner that you can put stuff in. When you think about your things, what are some of your most favorite things that, that your possessions are? Mm-hmm. You can still have joy. You can still have things. You can still live a meaningful life with less stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it might actually help her, might lift her spirits even. Yeah. Just having, you know, I, I know you always give the example of having fewer sentimental items as is, is, is being more meaningful rather than watering down with just, you know, storage room full of sentimental items but it's because i got to choose right and so i think what you're saying here to diana is man help her choose as opposed to saying hey i brought you these 17 trinkets i think you're gonna like these right because she is gonna have to let go and that's unfortunate but you're right she's the word trauma this can be extremely traumatic i'm I'm thinking about i don't remember where this story is from at this point but there was a guy who did this really nice thing for his uh, retired parents i think they were about 70 and he bought them a new house Mm. and then (laughs) surprised them by like what they were on vacation moving all their stuff from the old house into the new house surprise i got you this new great new retirement home it's it's bigger it's better it's it's traumatic yeah because they were like i thought this is the house i was going to spend the rest of my life in Mm. and that's probably where your grandma is right now like here's where I anticipated being in perpetuity. We often don't think about death. We, th- we think about here's where I want to be. Now you can't cre- recreate it exactly, but what are the best elements that you can recreate that for her? It might mean bringing her home to that house and picking out the things that are going to be most useful and figuring out what she wants to do with the other things could just give her the peace of mind. And it might mean, this is the one time you're going to hear me talk about storage. It might mean that you say, yeah, you know what? I'll store these things for you mm. for as long as you want me to store them. Mm. If you're avoiding trauma, uh, you're invo- avoiding inflicting trauma on someone else, that could be a really good use of a storage locker for yeah, a temporary maybe. period of time. Possibly. And, and, uh, or, you know, putting them in your basement or somewhere and let, let her know, Hey, I'm going to store these. I'm going to take care of them for you Mm -hmm. because you don't want to force her to let go. But at the same time, she has to let go because she can no longer live in that, that circumstance she was at before. And if you help, if you help take her room, fill it with the things that she perceives to add the most value to her life, Mm -hmm. let her know that the other things aren't just going to be burnt up and thrown away in, in an incinerator. It might make it less traumatic. In fact, ease the blow or ease the transition of mm-hmm. of moving into this next stage of yeah. her life. I mean, my my Oma, she uh, has told me a couple of times her world has been flipped upside down, and when that happens, uh, it is very. It feels chaotic. It feels very confusing. There's a whole range of emotions that go with it. But I think in in any of these cases where someone's world is flipped upside down, minimalism can kind of help uh, quiet the the situation a little bit so you can focus a little bit more on what's what's meaningful and what's important so maybe the question there ryan you use the word chaotic Mm. maybe the question is how can i make this less chaotic yeah for my grandmother yeah and if you can do that if you start at that point she's in chaos right now how do i make this less chaotic i think you'll end up with some good answers all right our next question is from shana in oakland california 
I'm very experienced in saying no to specific events, but in the last year I've decided to devote less energy to people that don't make me feel great so I can make time for people who do. But it's hard to avoid plans with someone without specifying what you're saying no to. Example, I have a friend who I see out regularly at events, and we used to have dinner occasionally, but I noticed they were continuously using it as a therapy session with complaining and general negativity, similarly to how they use their social media, which I unfollowed. I felt exhausted afterwards without having said hardly anything. I never quite enjoy spending time with them, but I don't have an official reason pinpointed that's easy to say. I've been filling my time with people who make me feel the opposite, so every time they mention getting dinner, I've just been too busy to lock down a date. This has happened a few times, and it feels inauthentic. But telling someone you don't enjoy their company doesn't sound kind either. I find it very easy to let in or lock out new people, but downgrading a friendship is awkward. I love your ideas on honesty about relationships, especially dating and family, but telling them the truth will not be helpful and make our regular run-ins very uncomfortable for myself and our group of mutual friends. Is it best to just be busy until they get the hint? So, so is it best to be slightly disingenuous to this person? Man, Shana's question, at the end she said it won't be helpful, to uh-huh. be honest. Well, I mean, I would say Shana has waited so long at this point, it wouldn't be helpful. Because she's been putting it off until, you know, she's at her boiling point. Right. This person keeps, she has run-ins with her. She uh, wants to do things outside of these run-ins. But Shayna now has, she's been making excuses for however long that now she is at a point where she has to either continue to make excuses or she has to be honest. I think, you know, if, if she could go back in time or if anyone's in this situation right now, when the problem arises, you've got to say something then. Mm. you cannot wait for the perfect time. There's never going to be a perfect time to have this conversation, conversation, Shana. In fact, the longer you wait, the more inconvenient, the more uncomfortable it's going to be. So at this point with Shana, her personally, I would recommend, yes, you've got to have that tough conversation. Mm -hmm. You know what? I really love having these run-ins with you and you're a really great person to talk to while we're at these run-ins. I have really been refocusing my time and I've been doing things differently and I wish I could spend time with as many people uh, as I wanted to but unfortunately I don't have that time to have every single relationship I want to and that's not that's not putting the blame on her now no. if she asks you why and she keeps probing well why you you can be honest mm-hmm. and and uh, so there's a book I'm going to recommend to her uh, Sam Harris wrote a book called lying it's a very short book I think it's like 50 pages or something but it it explains to you why lying in all of these little white lies which Shana is on the border of right now white lie it's never the the right response yeah. other than in self-defense situations yeah and this is not self-defense it might feel like it because you have the the fight or flight like oh no I, I don't yeah. want to waste my time at the dinner or whatever but I think honesty is ultimately kind yeah. it doesn't always feel like it's kind in the moment and guess what if she pries, if you have the conversation Ryan told you to have with with, with your friend, mm-hmm. and she pries a little bit further, and she's like, "Well, why, why can't I be one of those people uh, that that are you know part of your time?" Mm-hmm. You can have that honest conversation mm-hmm. that is, well, it might not be what she wants to hear, but and you know what, man, it might even hurt her feelings. Mm. But so what? Yeah. So what? 
it's better than lying to that person. I would rather hurt your feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but if my honesty hurts your feelings, mm -hmm. I would rather that happen than me lie to you about if, the situation. If Shana wants to put in some work to really ease into this, I, I, I did just think of one thing that I might do actually is, uh, and I have done this in the past with, with uh, friends or relatives, where I feel like they're constantly being negative and then I get off the phone and I'm like, why did I spend all that time? Mm. I'm just not gonna talk to that person anymore. Instead, what Shana could do right now is, you know what? Go out with your friend, Shana. Go follow them on social media again mm. and show them that you are willing to support them. And then, you know, let's say, uh, yeah, we'll go out for drinks. They go out for drinks and uh, she starts to do the woe is me and to, and to play the victim role and, and so forth and so on. Well. Shana, that is where now you have another opportunity to say, hey, you know what? We've been hanging out, uh, the, all the times we've hung out outside of these events, I feel like it's been a lot of negative energy and I'm so sorry that you have you know, uh, so much negativity happening and I wish I could help you, but this negativity, constant negativity when we hang out with each other outside of these, these events, it's, it's very hard for me to live a meaningful, positive life. And I've had that conversation with, again, friends and relatives where I'm like, hey, you know what? When you and I talk, it's usually uh, you playing the victim or, or, or victimizing someone. And you don't even, you know, it's a lot of time they don't even want advice on how to change. They just want to play victim and they want to victimize. Mm. And, uh, you know, basically I've told those people like, hey, look, if you're going to play victim and victimize every single time that we talk, I can't continue to have these long conversations with you. Yeah, I think I think it's that's really helpful because what it does is it gives them that opportunity mm -hmm. to either fix it and you have to be willing to help them fix it. Or maybe you're not willing to help help your, your friend fix it, and that's okay too. You don't have to, you're not obligated no. to do so, but then you have to decide whether or not you want to, to walk away from this. And in walking away, there are a bunch of different ways we just outlined that you can approach it, but in doing so, you, you'll find that that distance that you create either empowers the relationship, makes it better, or it provides the space that you need to surround yourself with relationships that you're able to serve and that serve you. Finally, we have a question from Viv in Toronto. I have some stuff I don't know what to do with. Um, my mom passed away 49 years ago, um, and I still have a suitcase. I was four years old. I have a suitcase um, with some of her things. I have letters that were sent to my grandmother when she passed away. I have a couple of gowns and things like that, and I just don't know what to do with them. I want to let them go. They don't mean a ton to me other than they're a box of my mom's stuff, but what do you do with something like that? How do you let that go? So we're talking about subtracting sentimental items yeah. from our life. Sometimes we just feel obligated to hold on to these things. She said we don't have they don't have a lot of meaning, mm. but they have some meaning because as you said they don't have a lot of meaning. Realizing the things that we have that we have have only the meaning we give to them. Yeah. Right. Uh, Viv, your mom's things have no meaning to me. Right? In fact, man, I'd be really inconvenienced if you showed up here and like gave me the suitcase and the gowns. I'd be like, oh. Some letters. and Right. Yeah. Now, they may have some significance for you. That's a little bit different. Significance can lead to, to meaning. But they might have some significance for you. And you may want to retain some things because your mother passed away when you were four. You may not have a bunch of memories of her. And one of the ways to, to retain it is, I'll tell you what I did with my mom's stuff, is I 
scan photos. You can do the same thing with letters. You can scan letters as well. And then you can take photos of the physical objects that you want to let go of yeah. because those photos can still trigger the memories. My guess is you're probably not going in and feeling those gowns every day or anything like that. And so that will, those, those photos help me realize that the memories aren't in the things. Those things are just the triggers for the memories that are already inside us. Yeah. And it gave me permission to let go because I realized the memories will never be in those things. Those are just things. I can I can let those go. I can scan the things I want to scan. I can still have access to the letters that way without having to hold on to the physical artifact itself. It makes me think of that event. I forget what city it was, but the uh, the gal asking the question, she was talking about this quilt that she had. She's like, you know, when I was like in high school, my mom made me this really amazing quilt. She mm-hmm. blew up these pictures of me and my friends. And, you know, basically I forget how old she was, but she, you know, certainly was graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And she's like, now I've got this quilt where it's just, you know, a bunch of 16 year old, you know, pictures of 16 year old girls on there. And she's like, I don't know what to do with it because if I, you know, if I donate it, it's, you know, it doesn't have the sentiment. No one will ever have the sentimental value that I have for it. Um, and you know, she didn't want to throw it away. And I asked her, I said, let me ask you right now and just answer. It's first answer that comes to your head. If it's, if you went home and you found out it spontaneously combusted, how would you feel? And she was like relieved. Mm. And that is a question that I would have Viv ask herself. What if these things spontaneously combusted, would you be devastated or would you be relieved? And if you would be relieved that, that is a clear sign that you've got to let some of these things go. There's no reason to feel guilty about getting rid of some sentimental items. Um, I know that there are archives and uh, of, of of people's you know past memories and pictures. Like it's amazing how I forget what is it the Library of Congress that yeah. just has like the most random mm-hmm. letters and pictures, and those are great and those are really cool to, to look at. Don't get me wrong, uh, but you know if you don't. If you don't submit those to the Library of Congress, I mean, someone else will submit their memories. In fact, I was uh, watching The New Yorker Presents, and there's this segment where this gal was reading from her 16-year-old, uh, or I'm sorry, her 8th grade diary. So she was like you know, 12 years old or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And it was hilarious. And I was so happy that she had held on to that diary. Uh-huh. But she didn't have stacks and stacks of diaries. In fact, I think she even mentioned how she kept that diary because it was the one that meant the most to her. Well, I think what you're saying there is... The suitcase that she has is not the problem. Right. It is a it is a symptom. Um, because if you just have one suitcase, you want to hold on to that, you put it in a closet somewhere, it's not... You, you probably... Unless you live in a extremely tiny, tiny home, you, you probably have the room for one suitcase. It's the mentality that becomes the problem. Yeah. I need to hold on to this because I'm obligated, because of sentiment, because it has some sort of meaning. The question then is... I would feel relieved if it spontaneously combusted. How can I make this useful? How can I feel better about that? How can I let go? And it might mean taking photos and scanning. Mm-hmm. It might mean turning it into an art project or whatever. Or maybe she does submit it to the Library of Congress. And like knowing that you will give it to curators who their job is to curate other people's memories and to decide what is going to be useful for future generations and what is not. What is junk? And it's so yeah. hard for us to do because we can't see the, the forest through the trees. Yeah. All right, Patreon. Thank you so much for being here today. And as always, love people, use things. We'll see you next time. See you.
Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Every little thing that you gotta have, every little thing that you gotta have, you gotta reach for and you gotta grab. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. So tear your eyes away, or tear. 